Love and humility are key to whenever we have this conversation about spiritual gifts functioning properly within the church. Um, Love, um, I should earnestly desire the things of the Spirit, not because of what I want, but because of my love for God, my love for Him and His kingdom and what He has called me to be a part of as a follower of Jesus. The great command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are to build up the body and edify the body with the spiritual gifts. And this is out of our love for God and our love for each other. It's why um, our mission statement says impacting people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. That, that's what's most important, that we love God and love others well. Humility is recognizing that this spiritual gift or these spiritual gifts that I have been given are not anything that I was able to just go and buy at Walmart. It, I know that's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Ruthie's over there laughing at me. <laughs> but humility is so important. These gifts come from the Holy Spirit. They're a gift from the Holy Spirit. And I'm a part of this body, so these spiritual gifts, again, are not about me. It's about we. And it's about each one of us discovering and being equipped in our spiritual gifts so that we can build up and edify one another. As we've been talking about unwrapping your spiritual gifts, we have for our uh, purposes put these gifts into three categories. We have love gifts, which you see on the left, and these are gifts that manifest the love of God in practical ways. It's, it's that simple. When you serve, when you have mercy, when giving's your thing, even when administration, you are serving behind the scenes by helping put details together, you do it in, in a way that reveals the love of God. Word gifts clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. And so here we have teaching and exhortation and apostleship and leadership and shepherding and evangelism. Uh, these, we, we need to use those gifts, people need, who have them, to clarify the purposes of God. What, what is our purpose in relationship to God? What is God's nature? What is His action? What can we learn from that? And then, most recently, we've been talking about the power gifts, and they demonstrate the power and the presence and the reality of God. As we talk about prophecy and tongues and intercession and faith and discerning of spirits and words of wisdom and knowledge and healing and miracles, all of those gifts demonstrate the power and the presence and the reality of God. I referenced before 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul is talking about prophecy and tongues and all that kind of stuff. And when he talks about prophecy being within the church, kind of the picture is 
people are, the prophetic is at work in this loving hum, uh, way filled with humility, and people walk into the place and see the spiritual gifts happen, and they go, oh, God must really be in this place. And that's what power gifts really do. So as we've been talking about these power gifts, uh, today we're going to talk about three more, and uh, buckle your seatbelts, because we're going to go on a journey. Yeah. We're going to be talking about tongues, miracles, and healings. There's a lot of information. In fact, I probably should have just divided these three into three different sermons, but uh, because of... Um, yeah, just because we're stepping into Advent, and I'll probably pick this stuff up again next January in a different way. We'll, we'll continue to be talking about these kind of things as we move forward. This isn't a one and done where we, you know, we talked about, Brad's preached about spiritual gifts for a few weeks and now we're done. We're, we're in the process of even how do we develop classes around these things so that those of you who are desiring to learn and more about different gifts that, that we, we can provide a place for where you can learn. So, uh, today we're going to talk about tongues, first out of the gate. The gift of tongues refers to a spontaneous utterance of a word from God in an unknown language to an individual and or a group of people. You can find tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, uh, referenced there, it's referenced in 13, 1, and then you get a whole bunch of conversation about tongues in chapter 14. The central thrust here is speaking divinely appointed messages. Now there's some important things for us to note as we talk about the gifts of tongues. In the church in Corinth, it caused a lot of problem. That's why Paul spends a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians dealing with tongues. It was divisive. And there was a sense of spiritual pride that came over some who had this gift. The gift was abused. Um, and so most of what we know about the gifts of tongues is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Ironically, tongues has caused the same things in the churches for the last 2,000 years. It has caused problems. People sometimes have operated with the gifts of tongues in a sense of pride. Thus the emphasis on humility. Now, just so we know, other spiritual gifts, people can operate those gifts with pride too. So tongues isn't the only thing, but tongues gets hit big time in 1 Corinthians 14. Now there are three places that tongues are referenced in the book of Acts. And I'm going to hit on those uh, three real quickly today, just, just because this gives us a better context of what we need to know and learn about the gift of spiritual tongues. Because as we know, the key to any biblical interpretation is context. We can't just go to one verse and then build a theology around that one verse. Okay, We need to look at the whole breadth of Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, 
As we know, Pentecost, the apostles are praying and they're uh, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes as tongues of fire. And as the uh, disciples go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, they spoke in recognizable dialects. Now it's important for us to understand that in Luke chapter 2, Luke uses a Greek word here for tongues that is all about a recognizable language. So what we see in Acts 2 is the disciples speaking in languages that are known by the people who are around there. Now, Luke, who's the author of Luke, doesn't use this word in the other two references of tongues that we will see in just uh, a few minutes. And it's important for us to understand that. Now, um, many theologians see Acts 2 picture of the use of the gift of tongues as a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Now think about this. What had happened at the Tower of Babel? All the people spoke the same language, and they were all together. They were supposed to go throughout the earth and populate and rule the earth, but they stayed together, same language, and they said, hey, let's build a tower to God. So they began building a tower to God. God says, nope, that's going to stop. And so he confused them by giving them different languages so they could no longer function unified. What we see here happening in Acts 2 is what? The Holy Spirit coming, God coming to mankind through the Holy Spirit, and then God gives his followers the ability to speak other languages so they could hear the unified message of Jesus Christ. The key here is the disciples are communicating the good news of Jesus and God has gifted them through the Holy Spirit the ability to speak in other languages. Now when we get to Acts 10, 10, 44 through 47, uh, we have a little different scenario there. So in Acts chapter 10, Peter is doing what most of us do. He's taking a nap before dinner. At least that's what some of us do. And in the midst of this nap, he has a vision. And this vision of, is of a sheet being lowered down and there being these four-footed animals. And there's a voice from God saying, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Sounds good to me. But... For Peter, that was not a good thing because some of the animals in that sheet were unclean animals. And he's like, no, 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 no. I don't need anything unclean. Peter was a good Jewish man. But he saw the vision again and then again. Meanwhile, a couple of days earlier in Caesarea, just a little ways away from where Peter was, there's a Roman soldier named Cornelius who is described as a God-fearing man. He saw an angel 
And the angel said, send some men to Joppa, find Peter, and bring him back. So as Peter is finishing up this vision, there's a knock on the door, and it's the men from Cornelius. And they say, hey, Cornelius wants to see you, here's the deal. And so Peter goes, well, I just had this vision, (laughs) and this vision is correlating what is happening, and so Peter goes. Now, starting in verse 44 of chapter 10, it says this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now, what words? The gospel. Peter is preaching or proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to Cornelius and his household. Okay? It's important for us because that theme is going to keep coming as we continue to talk about spiritual gifts. goes on to say, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Now, circumcised believers, that's basically the Jewish people who had become followers of Jesus. The Jewish people were the ones that were circumcised. Now, there were some non-Jews that also would want to become Jewish, and so they would have to be circumcised. So these are people who had been, who were Jewish people, they had been circumcised, they heard the story of Jesus, and now they were followers of Jesus. So these circumcised believers um, were astonished. The Gentiles, they get the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, um, They could tell that these people had received the Holy Spirit because they spoke in tongues and because they praised God. Now, whether they spoke in tongues, praising God, or they're two different things, it it really doesn't matter. The point is, there was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in these people's lives, tongues and praising God. It goes on to say, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water, They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. This is Peter speaking. So the early disciples learned that you repent and you are baptized. It's just just the way you do it. You are baptized with the baptism of Jesus. And so here you are, Peter is saying to the circumcised Christians, that they receive the Holy Spirit, it makes sense then that they get baptized. Now, this baptism thing is an allegiance thing. You, you see, we, you know, we do baptism, and yeah, it, it's a symbol of death to life, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, throughout church history, baptism has meant more than we evangelicals have it today. You see, baptism was all about saying, my allegiance has changed. It's not just a symbol of dead to life. It's, it's more than a symbol. It's, it's me declaring to the world, I am now a follower of Jesus. 
Nothing, nothing. I don't follow Rome. I don't follow Jewish tradition. I don't follow Americanism. I'm sorry, Siri says, be quiet. I, I follow, it's terrible when your watch talks back to you, right? Right in the middle of your sermon. I follow Jesus. And so for the circumcised followers of Jesus, they're like, hey, these people are switching allegiances. They're no longer Gentiles. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we're going to move on to Acts chapter 19. And here it's Paul. Paul's in Corinth. And he was making his way to Ephesus. And before he got to Ephesus, there was a Jewish man named Apollos who had come to Ephesus. And he was a learned man, meaning he was very intelligent. He was a Jewish man that he knew the Scripture thoroughly. He could teach it. He could recite it. He, he knew it. And so he had been instructed by the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. I mean, he was a great orator. And if you remember in 1 Corinthians, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 2, about they talk about who do we follow? Paul, Apollos, Cephas? It, that was the argument, because Apollos was this amazing, learned man who was an orator. And so he went to Ephesus, and he was instructing people in the way of the Lord. And here's kind of a cool thing. He's in the synagogue, and he's preaching. After he gets done, there's this couple named Priscilla and Aquila. They hear him, and so they invite him to, his house, to their house to straighten him out on a few things. He had a few holes in his teaching, and so they invited him over to kind of say, okay, here, let me give you the fuller picture. Now, one of the key things about Apollos is he was a debater. He could talk circles around anybody, and so any argument any Jewish person had, Apollos, he could, he could straighten him out in no time. But Apollos was there declaring Jesus as Messiah, but what Apollos didn't know, he didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. You see, he was a good Jewish man, a good Jewish Filippo believed that there's one God. And that's the thing that messes up a lot of Jewish people even today as they're looking for the Messiah. They... There's just one God. So this idea of a trinity, where there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, messes them up. It, it's a change in the way they think. So while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They didn't hear because Apollos didn't know. He didn't have the opportunity to teach about the Holy Spirit because he didn't know himself. So then Paul asked them, 
Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had been baptized in the name of John, John the Baptist, repentance, and hey, I'm preparing the way for the one. Don't follow me. Follow the one coming after me. Paul comes and says, uh, you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is, they were dunked again. This is a water baptism again. But it's a water baptism in the name of Jesus. Now, in the process of baptizing them in the water, in the name of Jesus, repentance, changing allegiance, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, these people, these 12 men, were Gentiles that lived outside of Judea, Judea, where Cornelius was in Caesarea. It was still part of Judea. So here's another group of people who need to learn about the Holy Spirit, need to learn about the things of God. And when they were baptized in the name of Jesus, water baptism, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, there's a couple things that we need to understand here, and that is this. Um, Tongues and prophecy were used here to authenticate the addition of non-Jewish people into God's church. You see, there, there's other op- places, many other stories in the first century of people receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But Luke includes two. And both of these are about... Um, introducing to Jewish Christians that this message of Jesus is not just for the Jews, it's for the world. You see, what happens here now is in Acts 21, right after this story with Paul, he goes back to Jerusalem, and what does he do when he goes back to Jerusalem? He meets with the Jewish Christian leaders and tells them this story and of all the other things that God was doing. So he tells them, hey, look, um, they hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit. They had been baptized with the baptism of John. I, I baptized them in the name of Jesus. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit came on them. They started prophesying and they started speaking in tongues And so, what did the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem say? Oh, the good news of Jesus is for the world. 
These Gentiles who we had built a bridge or a wall against, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I, I share this with you because oftentimes people use these two passages, passages to give their theology around tongues, but we have to notice in the context that these verses are less about a theology in tongues and more testimony to, for the Jewish people at that time who were Christians that this message of Jesus was for the world. It was more than just the Jews. See, we don't, we don't get it because we, we know that the message of Jesus is for the world. But for the Jewish people, the Messiah was theirs. The Messiah came for them. Not for the world. And now, all of a sudden, the Messiah is for the world. And the reason why they know it is because the Holy Spirit came on people and the power gifts were at play. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Now, in the church today, there are two major teachings around the tongues for those that believe the gifts are for today. Now, there's, there's the teaching for those who don't think the gifts are for today, the tongues are done. So don't even go that way. In fact, they're demonic was what extreme teaching goes. But for those who believe that the, tongues, uh, the gift of tongues is for today, there's really two major teachings. One is... All in any Christian, if they ask, can have the gift of tongues. The other teaching is, all true Christians must speak in tongues because it is the required first sign to you and others that Jesus has moved in or that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I have a couple of good friends from my high school days who our Assemblies of God pastors, and we've had conversations around this because part of the dilemma is a denomination like the Assemblies of God, they make it um, a required statement that pastors need to uh, sign off on, which says the uh, initial evidence of you being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. Wow, that creates a dilemma. Because maybe you are baptized in the Spirit. But you're not speaking in tongues. So now, what do people do? They abuse it. People make it up because they want to fit in. Or people leave the faith. Thankfully, more and more Assemblies of God pastors today that I know of and that I have talked to over the last few years, they are rejecting that statement because it is not biblical. For me... I agree with statement one, and that is all any Christian, if they ask, can have the gift of tongues. But gifts is not required as the first sign that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Now, with the other gifts, I start... By having you close your eyes and you may have the gift, blah, 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 blah. Well, this is a little different because I kind of go, either you have it or you don't. I mean, either you, you speak in tongues or, or you don't. So it's less about going 
through uh, this list, and, and part of that even reflects on my own story. My own story is that I, I had, in my 20s, a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit, um, and when somebody was praying over me, in the midst of that prayer and this physical manifestation of my body, he instructed me not to worry about speaking in tongues. Just receive whatever the Holy Spirit has for you right now. So I didn't speak in tongues then. In fact, it was a long time. And then I began thinking I was starting to speak in tongues, but I don't know. Am I just making this stuff up? And, and that's the hard part of this whole speaking in tongues. Um, and, and this whole... Um, you know, requiring people to speak in tongues or judging people, and not everybody does this, but some people judge people whether they speak in tongues or not. What I do know this is that three times Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12 and chapter 14, he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts and then tongues is listed at the end of the list. In Corinthians 14.1, he says, earnestly desire the gifts, especially that you prophesy. Doesn't even mention tongues. 1 Corinthians 14.29, he says, earnestly desire that you may prophesy. And this was after spending a whole chapter of uh, telling the difference between tongues and prophecy and why both are good and what are the and how do we handle them properly in the service. So uh, we put all kinds of emphasis on tongues. Tongues are not more important than any other gift. Now, we don't see tongues on a Sunday morning on the platform because we know, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, that if somebody speaks in tongues in front of people, there needs to be an interpreter. That's the way Paul has laid out to do it. So, because we don't practice that, now there are other churches who do practice that, that more, but they have somebody who speaks in tongues, and then they have an interpreter. And Paul really emphasizes prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. That prophecy, uh, when prophecy is at work, people go, oh, God must be in this place. Now, to wrap this one up, and I knew this would be the longest, because there's so much more to say. There is a gift of tongues that is referenced by many as prayer language. This is a gift that is meant to be done in your own personal worship, personal prayer time. It is kind of like praying in the Spirit. This is what you do alone. And many of you have that gift. You have that prayer language gift. Even if you don't have this gift of tongues that Paul is referencing in 12, 13, and 14, which is of 1 Corinthians, um, you have that prayer language. Um, and so my hope and desire, like Paul, is that all of you have the gift of tongues in your personal prayer language. That it becomes a part of your spiritual journey. But, 
You are not less than any other believer in this room or in this world if you don't have that personal prayer language. If you have any questions about that, uh, we can have a dialogue after this service. I'm going to move on to the next couple of gifts. Ooh, I'm going to get through these in just a few minutes. Miracles and working of powers. It's like, yeah, how can you go through miracles and working of powers in a short time? Right, here we go. Pray for a miracle. The Lord is going to stop the clock while I... No. Um, miracles refer to the release of God's supernatural power so that the miraculous intervention reveals God's purpose and intent. The central thrust is releasing God's power and message. So, miracles authenticates the message of God. Remember, um, our power gifts reveal to us that God is present. Here's a couple of quick verses at Acts 6, 8. Now Stephan, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Okay? Stephan, remember, he was one of those who was a deacon, or he served, helped serve and cared for the widows that weren't getting their food, and yet Stephan proclaimed the gospel, and when he proclaimed the gospel, he was able to do signs and wonders among the people. Oh, and by the way, just a reminder, Stephan proclaiming and having the gift to do miracles got him martyred. So put that in your mind and think on that a little bit. Acts chapter 8, those who've been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed the message there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all played, paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, uh, notice... People paid attention to the message because of the signs and wonders that were done. Again, power gifts demonstrate the power and presence and the reality of God. When I proclaim Jesus, and when God does signs and wonders through me, people pay attention. Hebrews 2 the salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God always testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Okay, again, it's all about God distributing according to His will, but this salvation message, God testified to the message by signs and wonders and miracles. So the main uses... For the miraculous and working in powers, is to, there's two main uses. One, bring people to Jesus for the first time. When you proclaim Jesus and signs or wonders are done, people turn their lives over to Jesus. The second thing it's used for is to set free those who are already following Jesus. Maybe they are bound up with something. You see, miracles deal with the demonic, deal with the natural, okay? It, 
miracles perform actions that only God could truly be involved with. Contrast that with this gift of healing, which we're going to talk about in about two minutes. The gift of healing is all about physical and emotional healing. Miracles, demonic nature, actions that are outside of physical ability, healing is, is healing physically and emotionally. Just a reminder, Acts chapter 4, when Paul and John are being, after they're being interrogated, they come back to the church. The church is overjoyed that they're released. They pray. They begin offering up praise, and they pray for two things. They pray for boldness to proclaim the good news of Jesus, and then they ask God that he would stretch forth his hand to heal, perform signs and wonders. And then after they prayed, the place where they were at was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Filled with the Holy Spirit. This is after they'd already been filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So this is the multiple feeling. Multiple feelings. And then it says they went and they spoke God's word boldly and the church grew. And the church grew not by transfer growth. It grew by people getting saved. Um, hmm. Okay, you may have the gift of miracles if, and just close your eyes. Uh, God puts you in places to demonstrate his power in order to reveal his purposes. You may have the gift of miracles if you risk your reputation and trust God for the supernatural events of faith. You may have the gift of miracles if you pray often so God releases his power upon others with great results. You may have the gift of miracles if you discern what God wants to do in a given situation. You may have the gift of miracles if you see the spiritual realities of a situation and discern the power encounter that's happening. You may have the gift of miracles if God uses you to do things which supernaturally demonstrate the power of the gospel. You may have the gift of miracles if you're breaking into new frontiers for the gospel's advancement. Now, just bear with me for another five minutes. The gift of healings, uh, because I'm spending less time, doesn't mean this is less important. Um, the gift of healings refers to the demonstrating, to demonstrating the gospel through the supernatural releasing of healing power for curing all types of illnesses. 1 Corinthians 12.9 is where it's mentioned. You can find healing all over the gospel. If you want to learn about healing, read the gospels, read um, Acts. You will learn, get everything you need to know about healing. Central thrust, releasing God's power, releasing God's power to heal. Um, one example that I want to just walk through real quickly of healing, it's found in Acts chapter 14. Um, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Um, so again, Paul and Barnabas are sharing the gospel. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So even in the midst of persecution, Paul and Barnabas continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We, an American, can learn something about that. 
Rather than complaining how we're being persecuted, which we're really not being persecuted because we have brothers and sisters in the Lord around the world that are dying, let us proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, which is what we are supposed to do. Um, The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. That sounds like fun. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. There's a theme going here about the gospel. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul, the gospel, as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. The man is listening to the gospel. The man is seeing signs and wonders happen. His faith is in Jesus. He's, he's putting his faith in Jesus, so he has faith. Paul sees, because Paul has the gift of discernment, I'm sure. And so he's seeing this man has the gift of faith. So it's not about going up there and praying really loud or reciting certain scriptures or, or doing a dance or any of that kind of stuff. It is knowing what the Holy Spirit is doing in that situation and then just declaring what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so Paul just says, stand up on your feet. Now it seems easy, but it's harder than we think. Because we don't listen to the Holy Spirit. You see, for us, when we pray for healing, a lot of times we spend our time reciting scriptures that we know. Or we say words that we hear other people say. And we miss the point. A number of years ago, and this was at a different church, I was in this this, church. group setting and they were praying for each other at the end and this person had a prayer request for their father. Their father was having some dementia issues and so this other person said, I'll pray for you. And then as they were praying, this person said, I would pray for you, just began rattling off all the healing verses this person could think of and rattled through them really fast. And all I thought about was, This person didn't even hear what the person who had the prayer request was saying. Because this person wasn't necessarily asking that their father be healed. This person was asking for other things related to caring for their father. And I was like, you just missed it. Um, Some important things uh, here... Healing, miracles, prophecy, and every other gift of the Holy Spirit are dependent on what the Holy Spirit is doing in that moment. Um, This healing prayer and miraculous prayer, it begins and ends with our relationship with Jesus Christ, which means, am I spending time alone with Jesus? Because I spend time alone with Jesus to get to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. If I don't know the voice of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to be able to know what he's doing in, in that moment. 
It's John 15, abiding in the vine. We are the vine, Jesus are the branches. When we abide, we can ask Him for anything we want. And why can we ask Him for anything we want? Because we know what He wants. Verse 14 and 15 of John 15 says, You are my friends if you do what I command, obedience. I no longer call you servant. A servant doesn't know what the master is doing. I call you a friend because a friend knows what his friend is doing. And the key to praying for healing and to praying for miraculous power is being a friend with Jesus and know what he's doing in that moment. Praying for the gift of healing is not about praying louder. It's not about praying the right words. It's about listening and noticing. So when you pray for somebody, prayer for healing, prayer for the miraculous begins with listening. You listen to the person. When the person shares their prayer request, you listen to what they are saying. Don't start praying and don't start putting together the prayers you're going to pray. What is, that per- what is in the heart of that person that they're praying? Listen to them. That's where love comes in. The excellent way is love. Then as you're listening to that person, listen to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will communicate to you what you should pray and how you should pray. And then as you're praying for healing, do a little diagnosis. What's the cause? Do you know that a lot of physical issues have spiritual problems? We were talking about this at Elders, and I didn't ask if Doc O. Richard Ottermeyer if I could mention this, but he and Leanne were part of a pain unit down in St. Paul for a number of years. And he just said the vast majority of the people dealing with pain had unforgiveness in their life. I know so many stories of people praying, holding on to and having bitterness tie them up that affects them physically. Same with unconfessed sin. So diagnosis. What is the source of the problem? Is it physical? Then pray physically. If it's unforgiveness, tell them. Do you have unforgiveness in your heart? It's time to confess it right now. And then pray. Pray as the Holy Spirit directs you from what you have heard and listened. Okay, you may have the gift of healing if you become full of joy and laughter and have been drunk in the Spirit. Where does that come from? Oh, because this praying for healing and stuff like that, it's a joy-filled thing. If you, have the, you may have the gift of healing if you have an unusual ability to sense the power of God when it is present for healing. You just know. You have the gift of healing um, if you take risks for God and anoint others with oil and pray for them. You may have the gift of healing if you have the ability to trust God and believe He wants to heal publicly. You may have the gift of healing if people are drawn around you because you believe and see the results of, unanswer- of answered prayer. You may have the gift of healing if you have gone down under the Spirit and been out cold before God. I know that seems weird, but that's part of my physical manifestation that I experienced a long time ago, and it wasn't somebody pushing me over, because I don't let people push me. You just need to know. I've had people push, and I was like, uh-uh, you're not pushing this guy. You may have the gift of, the, of healing if 
uh, releasing God's healing power has given you authority and opportunity to preach the gospel. All right, we're done. So sorry about this. Um, all the spiritual gifts that we've talked about, I have a little sheet up here. Pastor Chris has that. If you take one per family, you can grab one. It has the definitions, the central thrusts, and then all the little statements that I said. You can take this home and just use it to go whatever. If you don't get one and you forget about it, you can go to our website under the About tab where it'll say Beliefs and Resources. At the bottom of that page, you can download this document there. Okay, I'm going to ask my elders and their wives to come forward. Uh, here's what we do. If you feel like you have the gift of tongues, or you want the gift of tongues, or you have the gift of the miraculous, or you have the gift of healing, we want you to come forward, and our elders and their wives will pray for you, lay hands on you, and anoint you with oil. Um, and here's another thing. Um, I... Um, I think God wants to heal some people today. I, I, I know it, you know, part of it is that we're talking about the gift of healing, but I, I'm wondering if God doesn't want to edify his body today. I read in the prayer room from Isaiah or from Luke chapter 3, where Jesus reads from Isaiah, where he says, I have come to, to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. Um, whether it's healing or a miraculous power or a word of knowledge or a prophetic word, whatever, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to touch your life today. And I'm just going to ask you to come forward and get prayer. Um, couple of our other prayer people, if there's more people coming up, I'm going to just ask you to, to join us as we, as we pray. Um, Eric, are you going to play something here at the end? Yeah. So Eric's going to play. When he gets done playing the song, you can just stand there and sing or you come forward for prayer. And uh, Eric will dismiss us when he's done with the song. Um, uh, Father God, uh, today has been a rush. There's been a lot. Um, but, but I ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this place today. I ask that you, um, as we proclaim your truth boldly today, I ask that you would stretch forth your hand this morning and that you would heal and that you would do signs and wonders for your glory. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come forward for prayer.